Hi, this is Sean Escobar. This is episode number 43 of Realizations and Resolutions. Welcome to the Wannabe Balanced Podcast, encouraging you to become the best version of yourself as you strive for balance in motherhood and business. Self-made millionaires, Sean and Crystal Escobar, will help you discover your passion and offer valuable insight into how you can make your dreams come true. Hello, everybody. We're happy to be with you today. Um, You might, some of you might have noticed that the title of this particular podcast is familiar. Um, We did that intentionally. It was kind of a little shout out to uh, Dieter F. Uchtdorf who uh, is a a leader, a prominent leader um, in the church that we previously belonged to. And we were so sad when he was removed from uh, what we called the first presidency, um, which is the top three in the church, top three individuals. We were so sad. We were, to be truthful, we were hurt because he was about the best thing that we thought that the church had going for it. Mm-hmm. So he did a talk once. It was called Of Regrets and Resolutions, I think it was. And mm-hmm. it had a profound impact upon me. And um, we just really love him. And we, it's just unfortunate that he had to be demoted and um, removed from that. It was, we don't understand why that was, but it certainly did upset us. And um, we think it was probably a, a big, big mistake. He was one of my favorite parts of the church, and along with Gordon B. Hinckley, those are the two most influential people that I can still say that I I love them and I admire them, and I think they always taught really positive um, messages, so yeah. Yeah. So speaking of realizations, um, we've been talking, Crystal and I have been talking a lot about the purpose of life, and uh, we've been studying that. And um, just recently, I had a good friend of mine who I've known for probably 16 years, um, and he died last week. Uh, It's an unfortunate, unexpected, tragic accident. And I did see um, someone posted a beautiful thing that really had an impact on me. In his obituary, they had a place where you could make comments, and I really liked this one. Um, it says right here, uh, I am so sorry for your loss, uh, referring to Mike's family. It has been many years, but I remember Mike as an intelligent, spirited, and fun-loving guy. Our bodies grow older, but our spirit does not. And I can see in the tributes that Mike was a bright light for his patients and friends throughout his life. My deepest sympathies and respect. Um... I thought that was interesting. Our bodies grow older, but our spirits do not. Um, yeah, I like that. The other, the other part of that right here, let me just read this. <clears throat> this person was saying that they had a conversation with Mike uh, just recently about how they were both missing their parents so much. Mike had just recently, in the last few years, lost both of his parents. He said he missed his parents, but he knew he would see them again. Um, I said, this, this individual said, I said, if we all go to that place, what happens when there are people there we don't like down here? He said, Becky, we come from a place of love. We go to a place of love. Our time here 
is for getting our work done. I just thought that was really yeah, beautiful. I like that. Discovering what our work is. Yeah. Um, Mike didn't subscribe to any particular religion, but he felt a calling to helping people heal from pain. Yeah. And uh, you know, you know that was his passion. I mean, yeah. That's all he wanted to do was help people heal from physical pain. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to share just a little bit about my story to help people understand the kind of the evolution that I've been experiencing. So early on in life, I was rambunctious. I was, <laughs> I was full of it. I, um, I had a very witty sense of humor. Um, <laughs> I just remember as a kid, I was somewhat defiant. I resented authority. I didn't like the status quo. Um, I just didn't want to conform. <laughs> it was just in me. I mean, nobody really taught me those things. It's just the way that I was. Um, my mom would try to force me to go to church, and I hated it, and she had to fight with me, and I would just resist um, to no end. She would try to take me to go get my hair cut, <laughs> and I wouldn't want to go get my hair cut. I wouldn't want to come inside. I'd want to play all the time. And looking back, it's interesting because my poor mother, oh my gosh, <laughs> I would have been the hardest child to raise. But um, when I was about 17 years old, something changed. Um, I, and keep in mind, up until I was 17, I had loads of friends. Um, I was very happy. I was very fulfilled. I was into athletics and, and drawing uh, hunting and hiking and all manner of things. And I think that I was the way that God intended to make me. Um, I was just me. And then when I turned 17, I was introduced to uh, sin. I'll just call it sin. And I was basically told that some of the things that I had done were sinful and that they, those things were, uh, I was no longer in God's favor, and that God was now looking down upon me with uh, vengeance, and he demanded justice. Now, keep in mind, um, the thing that I had done was with my girlfriend, and it was consensual. Um, it wasn't anything, it was, there was no crime, there was nothing of a, of a grotesque nature. Um, I think that most teenagers probably do what I did. Um, but when I was introduced to sin, um, all of the shame and the guilt began to set in. I was told that in order to be forgiven from God, I had to go to a building uh, was supposedly endorsed by God, and I had to meet with a man, a go-between, and I had to confess the sin to that man. And this was the only way that I could get back in the good graces of God. But what was strange about it was, you know, I thought I loved that girl, mm -hmm. and it didn't feel wrong. Um, 
And so I was torn. I was conflicted on the inside. I felt like God made me this way. And now, I mean, I was essentially taught that I was fallen, that I was flawed, that those feelings I had were inherently bad. Now, what that does to a kid is it makes him feel like he's bad because, again, I didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong. It didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, for me, I'm going to refer to um, all of that that I just explained as stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And I let all that stuff kind of take over. I let all that stuff... All of a sudden, I wasn't the same, Sean. I got rid of very meaningful relationships because I thought that those friends, they didn't see what I'd done as bad or sinful, and therefore, those friends were not appropriate. Um, I became very stiff. Yeah, it was really black and white, I think. Self-righteous. I'm a very literal person, and so when... I would say when religion was introduced to me, I really bit into it and took hold of it. Another part of the reason was that I wanted so badly to make my parents proud. And they seemed to be so proud of my brother for the choices that he'd made in his life to go on a mission and to be a virgin. And I felt like I was... It's going to make me cry. I felt like I was insignificant and that I was flawed and that the only way that I could, um, I was forced to conform. I, I felt like I had to conform. I felt like if I didn't, I, I was not fulfilling my potential. I think the word sin is something that we've really taken some time to deconstruct and figure out, well, what, what is the purpose of calling things sin? And why, why is it such a common phrase within religion? And I think, you know, to some extent, maybe the intentions are good to help people, you know, make good choices and, and be loving to mankind. But I think when it all comes down to it, there can be a lot of detriment around calling things sin, especially for Sean's case, because he is such a loving, good person. And for him to experience that with his girlfriend, it's like, how could you call that sin? That is not hurtful in any way. And so it is sad when when you, and then, you know, when it comes to the LGBTQ community, there's just so many things that we realize within the religion that they would qualify things as sin. But when it all comes down to it, if it's stemmed from love, then how can that be bad? So we no longer like the term sin. We still believe that it's important to, to do good and to, to be honest and good people who serve and love others. But it's, it doesn't have to be called sin. Things don't have to be qualified as sin. All the only thing you have to ask yourself is, is this coming from love? That's the only question you have to ask yourself. Is it coming from love? And 
it kind of does break my heart to think that, you know, Sean experienced that and I experienced that as well in many ways, feeling like I was not a good person just because of things that I did that now looking back, I don't feel like it was like, um, it wasn't coming from a place of wanting to hurt others. So I know there's other people out there who, same as me, you did something that you didn't think was bad. You weren't trying to hurt other people. And then you, you were told that it was bad. And I want to, again, reiterate that I lived with that. That shame and that guilt, I lived with that for 21 years. I let that just make me feel like I was not whole and that I wasn't worthy and that I was bad, inherently bad. Um, I was just coming across an article, Crystal, and I want to share this part of this article really quickly because it was Elizabeth Smart who was kidnapped by an individual and held captive for nine months, I think it was. And she said this, and, and it really it exposes a very big problem. <clears throat> she said that... Um, it goes beyond fear. It's a feelings of self, self-worth. Who would ever want me now? I'm worthless. That is what it was for me the first time I was raped. I was raised in a very religious household, one that taught that sex was something very special that only happened between a husband and a wife who loved each other. For that first rape, I felt crushed. Who could want me now? I felt so dirty and so filthy. I understand all too well why someone wouldn't run because of that alone. If you can imagine the most special thing being taken away from you and feeling not that that was your only value in life, but that devalued you. Let me make sure I read that right. And feeling not that that was your only value in life, but that devalued you. I remember in school one time I had a teacher who was talking about abstinence and she said, imagine you're a stick of gum and when you engage in sex, that's like getting chewed. And if you do that lots of times, you're going to be an old piece of gum. And who's going to want you after that? And that's terrible and nobody should ever say that. But for me, I thought, I'm that chewed up piece of gum. Nobody ever re-chews a piece of gum. That's how easy it is to feel that you no longer have worth, you no longer have value. Why would you even bother screaming out? Butterworth, I'm reading from this article, Butterworth has pointed out other problematic um, practices, including required confession of sexual sins by young women women to adult male clergy leaders in private one-on-one meetings and renewed emphasis on teaching of modesty that tends to place greater responsibility for sexual purity on the dress choices of young women while demeaning demeaningly constructing uh, young men as helplessly hypersexual. Even as official church manuals continue to work towards better ways of teaching responsible sexuality to young people, and that's been no easy charge for any faith tradition, sexist doctrinal folklore persists. Um, So again, you've heard of the, you know, the licked cupcake. Who wants to eat a licked cupcake? Uh, Who wants to receive a damaged flower? It's just, guys, this was me. And I didn't realize until I was 38 years old that I'm not inherently flawed. I'm not inherently bad. 
I am good just the way that God made me and even my imperfections, even my what one might call weaknesses or flaws or what have you, this is the way that I am and I have to love everything about myself. It took me till I was 38 years old to understand that. And I got to tell you, it's the most incredible feeling that I've ever had to feel like I am whole and God wants me this way, just the way that I am. Doesn't mean we stop striving and stop learning. I mean, that's just, that's up to me. But I am the way God made me and shame on me or anybody else if they try to change that. I really like that. Another thing that I wanted to share that is a realization for me that I I basically had just about a month ago, I think, where it was literally like the aha moment where something finally clicked and I realized what I was missing. And so in the beginning, when I first had... um, it all started with the panic attack and the, the dark night of the soul, realizing that my everything that I believed in was similar to believing in Santa Claus. <laughs> it's a good story, but it wasn't literal. And that was devastating for me, and it was a hard thing for me to to comprehend in a sense where I could go on living. And I thought, like, well, then what does this life mean if if all of that is not true. So I went through a period of time where I just wanted to, I just wanted to find something else to latch on to. And Sean kept saying, you don't need to find something else. Like just, just live, just be happy. And you love your kids and you're, you know, you can still, you can still live a, a good life without knowing what happens after we die and without having all these answers. And I kept rejecting that advice like I'm like no I need something to give me peace I need to have answers and so I would just constantly fight that that advice and tell him no I just need something to believe in and I think at one point just recently like I said I finally realized what he was trying to tell me and to me I was just like I kept trying to tell him, no, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. I'm, I'm jealous that that works for you, that you don't have to know and you can just move on and just continue to live your life. And, but I just couldn't get there. And so I, I don't, I, I just understand that that was my process. I had to go through um, everything that I did exactly the way I did in order for me to come to this conclusion and, but it is cool once you finally understand where somebody's coming from and what they're trying to tell you, that, which is one of the most amazing gifts in this whole faith transition is the ability to be more open-minded and to really listen to other people. So as much as I wanted to deny that Sean was not right for me, like his advice was not right for me. I was still listening. I was still trying to understand what he was trying to tell me. So I love that. Um, I love to see that I am becoming more open-minded. And I think that is such a wonderful thing to get to a place where you can genuinely try to understand other people in all walks of life. So 
Can I just add something yeah. about what you just said? Uh -huh. um, just one point. So, because Crystal is talking about having to know why we're here. Well, there's a difference between discovering your talents and finding out what your passions are and learning in what way maybe you were gifted in order to serve other people. There's a difference between that and pretending like we have all the answers. Crystal and I would always get in these arguments and I would say, Crystal, I don't like how people pretend that they know everything eternal. I don't believe that all these people that profess to know eternal things that they, that they do. And it confuses me. And she would get mad at me and she would say, well, you know, and she would almost look at me like, well, then you're just not a person of faith. But what I'm really trying to say is it's okay to not know and I don't think that anybody knows for certain. You see? Yeah. Life's purpose. Crystal and I were talking just recently, and she was showing me some things that she was studying. And she said, Sean, uh, this is so interesting. You've got to watch this. You've got to see this. And I watched it. And it's interesting because <laughs> the previous 20 years, if I heard what this guy was saying, I would have just dismissed it and said, that's just hokey, earthy, um, artsy-fartsy, hogwash. I don't want to hear that. Uh, because again, I'm just too literal and, and I was always taught that, you know, there's this whole religious plan for us. But when he essentially said the purpose of life is to realize, to awaken and recognize that we are not here to fill in all the blanks. We are not here to answer all the eternal questions we are here to experience life. Mm, yes, yeah. I like that. That's a great way to sum it all up. And I actually did just, I wrote down exactly the way he said it, um, Sadhguru. So I'm just going to read what he said in the, a portion of the video. He said, what is the purpose of life? Never ask why with creation. You just ask how. There are plenty of tools and technologies that can show you how. But if you ask why, there is no why. We can tell you stories. I can tell you a story that many of you would love to believe. If I speak about something that is not yet in your experience, you have only two choices, either to believe me or disbelieve me. If you believe me, you will not get any closer to reality. If you disbelieve me, you will not get any closer to reality. It is just you will either have a positive story to tell or a negative story to tell. Stories are good solace, but never a solution. You must decide in your life, are you looking for solace or are you looking for a solution? If you're looking for solace, I will tell you a nice story. If you're looking for a solution, then never ask beyond your present level of experience because you will be forced to believe me or disbelieve me. It will not solve anything for you. So why creation? Never ask. Ask how to navigate through this creation. We will show you many ways. Never ask why, because then we will have to go into a dimension which will force you to believe or disbelieve. I love the part where he says it'll force you to go beyond your present level of experience. And that just kind of really explains so perfectly how we are trying so hard to 
fast forward or push ourselves into an understanding that we are not really ready to comprehend or we're not ready for. So it's it's like we want to know what happens after death. Like what's it going to be like? We And that is so far beyond our present level of experience. And the more we focus on that, the less focus we have in the now and in reality. So that kind of just helped me gain a new perspective around what Sean has been trying to explain to me. Like, let's just enjoy life now. We don't have to understand or comprehend all that happens after we die. But that is also not to say that we shouldn't be trying to discover and learn and grow. I think that it just, it's more about flowing and allowing that information to come and when you're ready and and not forcing yourself to comprehend something that you're not ready for yet. So I just like that because it helps me realize that I don't necessarily have to have answers or even beliefs. I'm not also not saying that you shouldn't have beliefs. I still like to hear a nice story. You know, like he says, are you looking for solace or solution? So sometimes you just, you do want a little bit of solace. So it's okay to indulge in the, in the stories. And, you know, like Christmas time, we think about Santa Claus and there's nothing wrong with appreciating the stories and the, and for allowing them to help you feel good and give you that solace that you need. But overall, the purpose of life is to be in the present moment and be in the now reality and so I really like that yeah um so when I was 17 I decided to you know according to the religion that I subscribed to at the time I was basically taught that life is a test and that we have to pass this test um and that if we are sinning or if we continue to sin or you know if we don't repent of sin, then we're failing the test. Uh, so life went from being more like an experience to now it's, you know, who likes a test? Do you, did you like tests in no, school? No. <laughs> I never liked tests, but I fell in line. I, you know, did what is that, what I was told to do. I went on a Mormon mission. Um, when I was in that missionary training center, something interesting began to unfold. I would do things that were just of my nature. I would laugh loud, or I would crack a joke, um, or I would just share some kind of funny insight, anything of that nature. And uh, then the teachers and the other missionaries would repeatedly say to me, "Uh, yeah, we don't do that. I even would try to talk about my supposed past transgressions and I would get the slap on the wrist yeah we we don't do that here Mm -hmm. Um, they would repeatedly say to me we need to practice quiet dignity Elder Escobar we need to practice quiet dignity and so it reminds me of an analogy that my father once shared with me and he says it's an Australian analogy and um, these desert tortoises uh, would be roaming around the desert and there would be businessmen who would go around and they would try to 
um, they were basically there to harvest the turtle shells. And so what they would do is when the turtle would poke its head out, they would walk over and they would uh, tap the turtle on the head with a stick. And then the turtle would go back into its shell. And then they'd wait there. And then the turtle would feel like, okay, maybe it's safe to, you know, to do my thing again and stick its head out. And they would do the same thing and tap the turtle on the head. And they would do this repeatedly until the turtle felt like, okay, I'm not safe here and I'm just not coming out anymore. Um, when that, when it became apparent that the turtle was no longer coming out, they would actually drive a stake into the ground, put a little ribbon on top of it, and they would leave. That turtle would never come out again and it would die. Hmm. It's pretty gruesome, yeah. yeah. Um, after a uh, a great length of time, the harvesters would come back, find their stakes in the ground, and the birds or the, you know, the bugs and whatnot had basically cleaned the shell out, and they would just collect the shells for, for, for to, to sell and to market. Mm. Um, the meaning of that story is just that in life, things happen to us that basically change us, and we become very inhibited. We're basically told, don't do that, or, oh, you're that way, that's not good. Um, that's not a funny thing to do, or that's not a right thing to do, or that's a sin. And I got to tell you that I changed, and in my opinion, I didn't change for the better. I became a different version of what God made me. And I didn't, rec I didn't know it was happening to me at the time. All I ever knew was that I just didn't feel right. I just didn't feel like I was fulfilling my potential. And oftentimes people would say that to me. People would say, Sean, it just appears as though you're not fulfilling your potential. And I did not know what that meant. And I did not know how to address it. But it wasn't until I was 38 years old that I understand why that was and what I could do about it. And so I just want to share with you What's changed in me? Let me just share one thing. I've never in all these years just looked for the good in other people. I know it's hard to believe and it's kind of embarrassing to even admit, but I've always been critical. I've found myself being critical of other people and looking for what they're doing wrong and looking for when they slip up and then pointing that out and then, you know, maybe judging them. And for the first time that I can remember, I, I'm going around and I'm, I'm only seeing the good in people and I don't care what their religion is and I don't care, I don't look at them and say they're falling short or they're sinning or, or you know, I just don't do it now. Something's shifted inside of me and it's so beautiful. I can't even begin to describe what a wonderful, fulfilling feeling this has been for me. Um, it reminds me of a woman that I knew who had Down syndrome in high school. Her name was Chrissy Bates. And, and one time I said to Chrissy, Chrissy, I sure love you. We were really close friends. I said, Chrissy, I sure love you. And she said, I love everybody. And she really did. Mm -hmm. Little kids, little mm -hmm. kids love everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah, I, I, I see a lot of changes and things are shifting for us and it's, it feels amazing to witness such growth in ourselves and each other. 
Within just eight months, over our entire marriage, we have grown more in the last eight months than we have in the last 15 years together. So it is really amazing to to feel like our hearts are opening up, our walls are coming down, and we are no longer suppressing the part of us that we thought was bad, but it's actually what has, is allowing us to feel more whole. We're, we're not suppressing certain parts of us anymore. And like Sean said, we do. We feel more like we are discovering our wholeness. So... What a beautiful gift we can give our kids Yeah, to not allow society or culture or religion or even for us to not impose upon them what we think is their life's purpose. Shame on us for ever even thinking that that was our job. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a beautiful feeling to feel like I am here to experience life. My children are here to experience life. I don't have to assign much more meaning to it than that. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Uh-huh. It really is cool. Thanks for listening to the Wannabe Balanced podcast. Get access to free resources available at wannabebalanced.com. If you love the show, then leave a review or share it with a friend. Until next week.